For the New Testament reading, I'll be reading John 20, 19 to 23. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. At this time, we'll have the children come forward. Need at least one. Katie's a man here this morning. What do you What do you think of these tiles here? They got all better, didn't they? Last week we uh, we broke them up and they were little pieces, and just like when you make a mistake, if you say "I'm sorry," everything's better again, right? No? It doesn't go back to being exactly the way it was before? Like if you say something mean to somebody and you say, I'm sorry, then it's, it's all better. That person's just the same as they were before. Not the same. No. Actually, those tiles from last week. What we're going to have you do, we're going to have you put them all back together today. And, yeah. Uh, the congregation's going to wait quietly while you do that, okay? You think it'll take the whole church service? Well, it might, yeah. Well, we're going to have you try and put a couple of them back together. See if you can find a couple pieces that fit together. White ones. We might be here a really long time because they're because the pieces they like have edges like that that don't really go together. They're not like puzzle pieces, are they? Okay, well, just like you said, sometimes when we make a mistake and we hurt somebody's feelings or we break something or we take something that isn't ours, even if we give it back or if we say we're sorry, um, it doesn't go back to being the same as it was. But we can try and piece it together. And we can try and fix the things on our own. But uh, sometimes Kaylee's got kind of a start. Why don't you use those three pieces and put those together on this little block here. Thomas has this special forgiveness fix-it glue, I think. It makes it all better. So if anybody needs to go see Thomas, he's got this special glue in his office that help make it all better, right, Thomas? Okay. Well, those, we'll we'll just do those three pieces for now, and you guys can take a look at it later. Maybe we'll have a little time in your Sunday school class where you can work on a little more. Uh-oh, did Thomas forget to cut off the end of the... No, he got it. 
So can you think of a time where you made a mistake or you did something wrong that you're willing to tell everybody about here? Maybe we should ask Myron. <laughs> no, we try and fix these things ourselves, and we don't want anybody else to know what we did wrong. So I don't think they, they learned that at a pretty young age. So. Make it look the best you can, because that's really all you can do. And then we'll, we'll use this perfect one as a pattern to make sure you're pretty close, right? When you get done, we'll hold it up there. Will that stick enough to hold up or not? Instant grab. Instant grab. Okay. So you want to hold it up there, Kaylee, for everybody? So, yeah, we're getting there. But well, it take, it'll take a little more work. Just like when you hurt somebody's feeling, it takes a little more time to, to fix it back up. Okay, well, thanks for your help on that. And listen to Thomas here as he tells us a little bit more about restoration later. Uh oh. Sometimes other people try and get involved and make it better, and it doesn't help, right, Thomas? <laughs> so during Sunday school, we're going to work on finishing that, Kaylee and Caden. So we'll, we'll get to work more on that, because I'm your sub this morning. Well, uh, last week, we kind of started the service with a bit of a, you know, didn't tell you what exactly was happening, um, but we are celebrating the month of September is Recovery Month. This is a, is a national initiative uh, to bring attention to uh, folks in recovery, uh, addiction awareness, uh, mental illness, and just, it's a month to, to honor those things and remember those things and bring awareness uh, to those amongst us that, that, that walk that journey. And we looked at the, the story of uh, the, the two brothers, the, the prodigal son is what is well known, and we look at how that is, the 12 steps are, are mixed into that. So we're, through the month of September, what we're doing, we have, today's the, the third month, but we have two more Sundays after this. So each Sunday, last Sunday, we looked at the first three steps of AA. This Sunday, we're going to look at the next three, and then this next Sunday will be the next three, and Sunday after that will be the last three, and that will bring us to 12. Uh, but we're walking through these for, for a number of different reasons. We want to, want to bring raise awareness, uh, because I think many of us probably just are unaware of what they actually are and, and what, what the process is like to walk through them. But it's also not just about raising awareness. The, the 12 steps are a spiritual journey. The 12 steps are, I, I think, the gospel message uh, that has been put into kind of a system, step-by-step -step journey. And, and sometimes we get hung up in some of the language, in the traditional and the, the actual AA language. Uh, there's some ambiguous things about naming God, you know, the, the idea of saying higher power. We, we get uncomfortable with that. But we, we can name that higher power as God, as, as Jesus, as the Holy Spirit, as Trinity. Uh, we name that as part of the gospel message. And sometimes it says, as we understand him, uh, and we, we know we have all of Scripture to help us understand who God is. And so even though we may have some, some issues with some of the language or some of, of, of AA, 
as we know it, um, really that process is a gospel process. That process is a, a spiritual process, a journey uh, that we all can go through no matter where we find ourselves in life. And that's why we looked at the, pro- the story of the prodigal son last week, because with the two brothers really illustrates um, all of us in one way or another. We looked at the younger brother and how in the course of that parable he went through the first three steps of AA. Now, 2,000 years before you know, AA really came to be, but really it's, it's the same story of redemption, of admitting a need for a higher power, of admitting a need for God. And we also observed the older brother, the one who had done everything right, the one who was uh, obedient, who, who, had, who had followed the rules, but yet at the same time was stuck in this, this zone of being bitter and angry and not being gracious in forgiveness. And so as we walk through recovery month, as we walk through the 12 steps, uh, these two brothers frame this for us. Because all of us, in one way or another, have some of that younger brother in us. That we need to walk through this journey of, of recovery ourselves. And, and uh, whether that uh, we want to say that's a, a big thing or a little thing, you know, we, we put different um, categories on things. But we all need to go through that journey of redemption and enter onto that path of healing that the younger brother found in the parable. And we all need to learn, myself included, how not to be that older brother. How when we see our brothers and sisters walking this road and trying to find their way under the path of healing, how not to sit in the seat of judgment, how not to, to feel like we are the self-righteous ones, and how not to get stuck in that area of bitterness and angry, anger, but yet rather be like the Father who is gracious and forgiving. And so that parable does an excellent job of, of setting a framework for how we want to walk through recovery months how we can follow in the footsteps of the younger brother, hopefully not all the way that he went of, of, of really bringing his life to the brink of destruction, but how we found the path of healing and return to the Father. We can all model that in one way or another. So this week we pick up at step four. Step four in the 12-step process of AA is make a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. To make a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Now, I think right away when we hear that and we think about applying that to ourselves, I think especially in our context, in this specific context of Crown Hill, uh, I I think we need to tread on this one a little bit lightly because I think this is something that that may come off as all too familiar, right? So I said earlier we're, we're not really familiar with the 12 steps in specific. We might know they exist. But I think we may be actually a little too familiar with this step number four. Because many, if not all of us here, were raised in, this, in the church, and many in this specific church. And many of us were raised to believe that this step four really encaptures the essence of Christianity, right? That we should always be doing this, this, this heroic and moral uh, searching of ourselves, this fearless moral inventory of ourselves, and knowing, you know, did I do right or did I do wrong? Uh, many of us grew up singing the song, you know, be careful little hands what you do, be careful little mouth what you say. Kind of that black and white worldview of did I do the right thing, did I do the wrong thing. And that's, that's not bad. I mean, I think we need to, we need to be aware of our ethics and how we behave, how we behave and how we act. That's a, that's, a, that's a crucial part of Christianity. But oftentimes we've, we've broken it down that we've become like Pharisees to ourselves where we are, off, so we are the harshest judges of ourselves. 
and we just beat ourselves up. And then we, we look at a step like this and we say, well, that's, you know, that's what I've been doing my whole life. That's what I was taught in church, is to always think, you know, I'm, I'm this lowly and sinful person. I've done all these things wrong. I'm not worthy. I'm always messing up. I'm not as good as that person. I could never be an elder or a pastor or a Sunday school teacher. And, and the list can go on. And I think we take that fearless moral inventory of ourselves a step beyond even what Christ would have us do. So I want to tread lightly on this step, knowing our specific context. Now, the other side of that coin could be, and and some of us land here as well, that when we do this searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves, we think maybe the opposite side. Oh, I'm not doing too bad. Things aren't so bad. I'm not really a bad person. I don't, don't do those real bad things, those examples that Keith gave this morning of some bad things that people can do. I haven't done those since I was a little child, and I've repented over those, and I'm, I'm you know, pretty much living a pretty moral lifestyle. And so we can land on either end of that spectrum of constantly beating ourselves up and thinking we're not good enough and we're, we're lowly and just kind of live in, a, in just this beaten down posture, never really being able to extend forgiveness to ourselves or grace to ourselves. Or we can walk through life in kind of a sense of arrogance, like I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I'm not as bad as those people. I'm certainly better than those people. And, you know, I'm not perfect, but I'm doing okay. Both of these things land short of where Scripture tells us to land. And the most important aspect, the most important difference, and this is one place where AA, I don't think, goes the whole way, and that's, and that's understandable, is because there's no invitation of the Holy Spirit to walk on that journey with us. As we approach this, this fear, the fearless moral inventory of ourselves, of having the courage to do that, we must invite the Holy Spirit along. John 16, verse 8 says, and this is Jesus talking to his disciples. This is one of his last things that he says to his people. He says, The Holy Spirit will come after me, and when it comes, he will provide, he will prove the world to be in wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Basically, Jesus is saying is when we do this on our own, when we try to judge either ourselves or try to judge someone else, on our own basis, maybe our own moral code, whatever it might be, on our, whatever, whatever state that we're judging ourselves of, if we do it on our own without the assistance of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is saying he, this Holy Spirit proves us wrong in our judgments. The, the role of the Holy Spirit is to convict of sin. And so we, we need the Holy Spirit's guidance. And I'm sure you've heard me say this many, many times, and you hear me say it again, that one of the roles, this isn't a scripture verse, but this is a good summary of, I think, of the role of the Holy Spirit. The role of the Holy Spirit is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. So those who may find themselves always beating themselves up and feeling not worthy and not good enough and, and, and never been able to be as good as your brother or your sister or your parents or your friends or whoever it might be, The Holy Spirit comes to comfort you and say, you are good enough. You are created in God's image. You are good. You are worthy. You are beautiful. You have inherent worth because of who you are. Because, like Myrna talked about, you were created in God's image. You don't have to prove yourself or earn anything. And to those who land on the other side of thinking, well, I'm not them. I've got things going on pretty good together. You know, I haven't done any major moral wrongs for many years. I've been living a pretty good life. The Holy Spirit comes along and convicts those of us who start to think that about ourselves and say, whoa, 
you are always in need of grace and redemption. You can never do this on your own. And so, step four is an important step, but an important step not to do just by yourself. We must invite the Holy Spirit along because that is one of the major roles of the Holy Spirit in Scripture is to provide that that conviction, that illumination, that light to us so that we can see. And there's then a pretty important step that happens between step four and step five, a a pivot of sorts. So the first four steps that we've gone over, all four of them are kind of an inward journey that we can make. It's something that we do up here that we, we kind of we, we understand that we're powerless. We understand that we need someone to help us. We understand that we need to turn to the Father. We need to turn to, to Jesus to be able to help us out of the, the, the mess that we've made for ourselves. And then step four, we make that inventory of ourselves. You know, it's, they're all kind of things that we can do up here, that we can work through as we begin to process. And they're all very important. But step five pivots. It takes it away from just an inward journey, and it goes to an outward journey. I'm guessing that many in this room, maybe all in this room, maybe if you've never named it, but you've probably all in one way or another walked through steps one through four. You've probably probably at one point or another had some type of conviction like, I can't do this on my own. I'm powerless. I need help. Uh, You may not have used that language or had that understanding, but you kind of had that turning point of repentance in your life. And you realize that you need to turn your life over to, to God. That's you know, the, the original conversion experience that many of us have probably gone through. And in that process, you realize, like, there's, there's issues in my life that I need to clean up, that I'm, I'm not living a godly lifestyle, and you kind of work through those things. So that's kind of steps one through four. Many have done that. But have all or any then got to step five? Step five says, you admitted to God to ourselves, and here's the big one, to another human being. You made it to God, to ourselves, and another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. That's a big one. Now, to be fair to AA, none of these steps are done in isolation. Even steps one through four, even if they're kind of like an internal journey that you can go through, they're designed to be done in the group. And that's why AA is is group meetings. You go through, you walk through all 12 steps as a group. But steps one through four, you can kind of do on your own. But when you get to five, that that interior journey has to go into an exterior journey, journey. And you need to admit to God, to ourselves, and to at least one other person the exact nature of our wrongs. Now, why does this happen? Why, why can't this whole thing just be an interior thing? Why can't I keep these things to myself? If I want to go on this journey of redemption, this spiritual journey through the gospel on my own, why can't I do it on my own? Why do other people need to be brought in? Or is that just an AA thing? They need to tell someone else, but not necessarily me. I don't need to really confide in someone like this. Why can't I work this out on my own? And I would say there's some pretty important reasons why um, that we, whether you're through AA or not, at some point in our lives, we need to enter into that relationship with someone else where we can have this honest and frank conversation about who we are. Most importantly is if you really do want to take a step forward in life, you want to like move forward in that path of healing, if there's anything that's, that's hanging you up, any hurt, any pain, anything that you're carrying... You, just can't, you can't get rid of that burden on your own. 
You, you need someone else to help that you can name that to. Even the naming of it, you'll experience a credible release just doing that. Now, I, you all need to be looking for safe environments to do that, safe people to talk to. But that is a, a huge step. And the reality is with any sin, with any, any disease, any addiction that we walk through, we can't just overcome it ourselves. Sin is stronger than we are. Like, right? I mean, if we could overcome sin on our own, if we are strong enough as human beings to just kind of like take sin by the, by the horns and say, I'm going to wrestle you down and I'm going to win, right? what, what was the purpose of Jesus' work on the cross? You realize that when you try to take on sin on your own, you're telling Jesus, I don't need you or your work. This song we sang about, you know, Jesus paid it all. Well, you're basically saying, if you think you can take this stuff on your own, you're saying, Jesus paid it all for someone else, but not for me because I can handle this on my own. In any, any field where you talk about people trying to move forward in life, trying to recover, trying to, to break through, you need other people. In the field of, of sexual sin, we've heard all about you know, accountability partners. And really, in, in modern, and in, in what they're saying now is that's really a myth. That if you're struggling with sexual sin, whether it be um, illicit sin or pornography or uh, affairs or whatever it might be, if you think one person can help you overcome that, what they're saying now is like that, that's just a myth. One accountability partner can never get someone who's struggling with addiction out of addiction. You need a team. You need an army. You need a group of people that are going to walk with you gracefully but sternly and, and, and take you through this journey and this path to healing. You just can't do it over and over again. One person can't do it. Now, step four here says, you know, or we're on step five, you, know, you need to be honest with one person, which is good, but you need that group, that team of people. Now, I know not everybody in this room or maybe anyone in this room is at a place where you need to go to these intentional group meetings, whether it be an AA or a sex, uh, sex addicts, addicts anonymous SA or whatever it is. There's groups out there for, for many different types of issues. But the, 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 the point is still the same. Regardless of what it is that we want to move forward in in life, maybe it's not an addiction, maybe it's a hurt, a pain that you're feeling or that you've, you've carried for your whole life. You're not going to get rid of it just by thinking it away on your own. Secrets that remain secrets will never be healed. Something that you want to be healed must be brought into the light. It's just a, it's just a true fact of how God created us that we can't do it on our own. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous and powerful person is effective. Again, if this is striking a chord for you, I encourage you to pray about where that safe space for you would be. Who is that person that you could talk to? And maybe it's a, maybe it's a professional at Spring Haven. You know, that, that's, a, that's a great option where you can walk in those doors and you know the person you're going to talk to is a safe and trustworthy person that can, can escort you and guide you through this journey. But again, I encourage you, anything that's kept in the dark will continue to fester and stay. Any secret that's kept a secret will, can, will never be healed. It must be <clears throat> brought into the light in order for it to be healed. And then step number six reads, we are entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Now this may seem like an odd step. Um, most of the steps one through five kind of make sense. But you read this, 
We're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. And you scratch your head and you think, why does that need to be a step, right? Were they just looking for extra steps so they could land at 12, so kind of that you know, nice uh, biblical number of 12, and they didn't want 11, so they added this 6? Like, does it, doesn't it seem obvious, right? You were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. I'm ready, I'm ready to have God take this away. How many of us have been in this spot where you say, God, please take this away? The Apostle Paul was there. God, please take this away. This thorn is in my side, and I've begged you before to take it, and you haven't. I mean, why is it in there? It doesn't seem obvious. But the reality is that anyone who has walked through addiction or anyone who's walked with someone through addiction knows the truth of number six. Entirely ready to have God remove that. Because the reality is for someone that walks through addiction, for those of us who have been through there, we know that whatever it is that we are addicted to, whatever it is that we're going back to, it works. It works. It works very temporarily. And it's not helpful. Like, it works for a second, and then it brings a lifetime of destruction. But it works. Whatever it is that someone is running from, whatever it is that that is bringing that stress into a person's life, whether, whether it's a mental illness or an issue that happened in the past or the difficulty or something they just can't carry on their own, whatever it is that they're going to numbs the pain for a second. Whatever it is that we indulge in, it takes our mind off of the other thing that's eating away from us, eating away at us. Whatever it is that secret it is that we're holding inside, whenever we indulge in this sin that we enter into, for that second, we, we, we have release. We don't, we're not bothered by it anymore. It goes away, and we feel good. And that can be a lot of different things for a lot of different people. A lot of people experience this when they make a new purchase. Do we have Shopaholics Anonymous? I'm sure it exists somewhere. Maybe it should, if it doesn't. You know that uh, consumer therapy? Have you heard those words? You you feel that release when you bought something new, and whatever it was is bothering you and keeping you down, for a second, you get to revel in that new purchase you just made. For for people that that, that addiction is a substance, whenever you indulge in that substance, the senses go numb, or maybe they get heightened, depending on what it is, but it works for a second. The cares and the things of this world that were bothering you are numbed. Same with those that are addicted to, to sexual things. There's, there's the chemicals that are released are the endorphins have the same effect as many drugs. Studies, studies show across the board that whatever, whatever it is that we're drawn to and addicted to that draw us in, the chemicals are released into our systems and they make us feel good. Now, anyone who's studied these actual things, that phrase sounds like such a blatant summary. But anyways, chemicals are released into our system that make us feel good. It does work for a second, followed by a lifetime of destruction, but it works for a second. And on top of it working, it's incredibly easy. Right? It's the easiest thing for us to do. It's so easy uh, to indulge in whatever that thing is that's luring us in, that's tempting us in. When we look at the path to recovery, it's much, much more difficult. It requires really this, I mean, what we've looked at, this moral inventory of talking to another person, of going to groups, of, of working with people. It's like you can't relax. You've got to keep working. And it's so easy to, to, to fall off that wagon. That's way harder. But we know the benefits are a lifetime. The benefits are eternal if you invite Jesus on that journey with you to that path of recovery. So even though at a first glance you may look at this step and say, is that really necessary? Reality is, 
incredibly important. It's incredibly important that we name that we are ready for God to remove this from us. That we no longer need this in our lives. We no longer want this in our lives, even though we've known it has worked, quote-unquote, before. We want to get rid of it. And we're ready to get rid of it. And we're ready to have God remove it for us. Now again, as we walk through these, remember the two brothers of the parable. Maybe you, maybe you don't have, can't name something right now specifically that you're journeying through and that you need healed from. That's okay. Yeah, that's okay. We don't, you don't, this sermon series isn't a waste on you if you don't, there's not one thing that you're walking through. That's great. Just remember the posture of the older brother. There are people in this room that are walking through some of these things. There are people in this room that have, have walked through these things and need, need more people to walk with them. If you're not able to name something, that's great. Don't be the older brother. Be the father. Be the person that's ready to extend grace and forgiveness and to walk with our sisters and brothers that are going through these things. Let's pray. God, we're grateful for your message and the, the, the originators of the, of the 12 Steps, the AA program, that, that really took your gospel. And, and in many ways, they didn't include all of it. There's pretty important things missing. But Lord, they've given us a guide that as we can flesh it out with Scripture and and, and your presence and your Spirit to walk with us, we see a guide that walk us all through the Gospel. And so Lord, as we are walking through this as a group, may we each be walking through it individually. And no matter where in, in our life's journey this message finds us, if it's helpful for us to start naming some things, Lord, I pray give some some of us the courage to name those. And maybe if some of us need to be those warm, graceful, forgiving people that people can talk to, give us that ability to be those listening ears and warm hearts to be around. Lord, may we be a community of healing as we've experienced healing from you to be able to extend that healing to others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I invite the musicians to come forward. Uh, what we're going we're gonna to sing the last song, but I'll give the benediction from the back there because I'm going to take Petro and his kids back there and give you guys all a chance to shake their hands as they go out. Again, their English isn't that great, so uh, don't try to have, enter into a long conversation, but just, just to be able to welcome all of them as, as they go out. So please stand, and we'll sing the last song together.